hear that word that comes from, from, uh, to us from Isaiah chapter 9 to begin with. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And then from the Gospel of John, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that this word to come will point to the light, the light that shines in the darkness. For we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Our Jewish friends this Friday just finished their festival of lights, otherwise known as Hanukkah. To remember a dark time for the people of God when invading Greek forces descended upon Jerusalem and desecrated the temple and a small band of freedom fighters, later called the Maccabees, fought and captured back the temple and in rededicating it to God, lit the candelabra to remind God's people of God's presence. But they only had enough consecrated oil for the candles to glow for one day. And of course, the miracle came when the consecrated oil allowed for the light of God to show for more than one day, two days, three days, four days, five days, six days, seven days, Eight days, eight days, the light shone in the darkness, the miracle of light. But Hanukkah, as well as the experience of life, teaches us that to experience the miracle of light, there must first be darkness. Before contemplating the candles, there must first be the darkness of desecration. It's one of the great truths of the universe, and the truth is, that for there to be light, there must be first darkness. It's hard to be struck by the light when there's already plenty of light. Take a flashlight into a fully lit room, turn it on, you see nothing. Take a flashlight into a dark room and that's all you can see. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, but to have light, there must first be darkness. That's how the whole story of creation begins, right? When the Spirit of God hovers over the deep, the void, the emptiness, the darkness. And then out of nowhere or out of everywhere comes the voice, let there be light. And there was light. Can you imagine what that must have been like when the light first came into the world? 
such a miracle. But before the miracle of light, there's darkness. But we don't like darkness, do we? We only like darkness if we can count on there being some light. We don't mind dark movie theaters as long as we know that soon the screen will be filled with light. We don't mind the dark before the dawn as long as we can count on the dawn. We don't mind the deep dark December nights because it allows us to see the flashing twinkling Christmas lights through our neighborhoods. But just the darkness, no thank you. I can remember back to a time when I was a little boy and I laid in bed at night and was unable to fall asleep. Usually I had no trouble falling asleep, but there would be some nights when I had something on my mind or I had drunk a little too much cocoa before bed and I just couldn't get to sleep. And I was the kind of boy that didn't like not being able to go to sleep. And like most children, when I, I found great comfort in being able to go out to my parents who were sitting in the family room reading or watching TV, and I would sit with them until they told me to go back and to try to fall asleep again, which I would do. And if after a while it wasn't working, I would likely go back out and sit with my parents a little longer until they asked me to try again, and I'd go back to bed and I'd try again. And I can remember back to those nights as I lay in bed trying to fall asleep. I can remember lying there and looking at the bedroom door and the crack that was at the bottom of the door because there I could see the light shining from the hallway. And as I would lie there awake, I would pray that I would fall asleep before the light went out. Because when the light went out, when the light ceased to shine, it meant that there was no one left awake to whom I could go. But as long as the light was on, as long as it shone underneath the door, I knew that there was someone out there onto whose lap I could climb and who would wait with me until I fell asleep. It's no fun when the light goes out, but sometimes it does. I'm not sure why it does. Why couldn't we have light all the time, I ask. It's one of the questions I'm going to ask God. Why can't we have light all the time? But we don't. That's the human experience. Sometimes there are days, weeks, months, years when like the people of God, we walk in darkness, when we dwell in the land of deep darkness. Misfortune turns life against us. Grief has us staring at an empty space. Depression descends, melancholy settles. Loneliness creeps and we begin to wonder whether the miracle of light will ever return. One of my favorite rides up at Disney is Space Mountain. I love roller coasters, and there's nothing like a roller coaster in the dark. Nothing in front of you as you hurtle through the darkness, not knowing when and which way the next turn or dip will take you. And you jump on, you jump on because you have a fair amount of confidence that professionals have actually tested the tracks. And there are cars and operators that know what they're doing. And you head into the cavernous dark because you're fairly sure that light awaits you in about three minutes. One time when I was riding Space Mountain, the coaster came to a gradual halt. It stopped in the darkness. And there we sat in the darkness. And when you sit in the darkness long enough, you begin to wonder, when are we going to get out of the darkness? this sudden and unplanned pause in the darkness. It didn't take very long, of course, for them to figure out how to unstick us, and we were off, but for a while, we sat there in the unplanned darkness. Life, I think, has its moments of unplanned darkness that few of us anticipate or avoid. 
C.S. Lewis, the great defender of the faith, the great reasoner of why we believe what we believe, the most widely read Christian author of the 20th century. You may not have heard of him. <laughs> Waited a long time to find the love of his life. It took until his 50s to find her, and he courted her, and he married her, and her name was Joy. The old fumbling bachelor had finally found his joy. Fanny was graced by a loving wife, but within a few short years, Joy was diagnosed with cancer, and within a couple of years, at the age of 45, she breathed her last in Lewis's arms. In the wake of her death and in the depths of his grief, Lewis wrote a little book called A Grief Observed in which he chronicles his journey into the cavern of darkness, stuck without any light. In it he wrote, where is God? This question is one of the most disquieting symptoms of my sadness. Oh, when you're happy, oh, so happy that you have no sense of needing him, so happy that you're tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption. If you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. Ah, oh, but go to him when your need is desperate, when all their help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside, and after that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. Even the saints are not immune to the land of deep darkness. So is it any surprise that when the early Christians decided to fix on the calendar the celebration of Christmas, that they chose of all times the darkest time of the year? They could have chosen the brightness of the summer or the springiness of the spring or even the colors of autumn, but instead they chose the darkness of December at that time when the days shrink to their shortest and the night is the longest, right up against the winter solstice where the earth is the darkest it will ever be and, and the very point when the daylight begins to grow. When should we celebrate Christmas, they ask. Well, let's plan for that time when the darkness will show the greatness of the light. Let's plan for the time when we can share with one another the most common of experiences, those seasons of darkness, those times when we're stuck in the dark cavern, those moments of misfortune. Let's bring together our very humanity and wait for the light to come. And the light does come. It's why we have the longest night service every year, because we believe that the light does come. In fact, it never left. Christmas, if it's anything, is that time we bring ourselves back to year after year after year to be reminded that in this darkened world filled with darkened seasons, this world that has a remarkable ability to turn out the lights and convince us that the sun is no longer in the sky, time and time and time again, we bring ourselves back to Bethlehem to find there the light that never left. The true light, writes the apostle, that enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. There's a game we all play with our children. Not long ago, I was playing it with my grandson. I call it the blanket game or the peekaboo game. And the blanket game is when a toddler grabs a blanket, covers himself with it, and the adult makes life like he can't see him, right? You know, where's Jacob, we ask. And we keep asking, where's Jacob, where's Jacob? And Jacob stays under his blanket until finally he jumps up, throws the blanket off, and the adult says, oh, there he is, there he is. 
Now, I'm not sure how old you have to be before you begin to realize that the adult has never lost sight of you, even though you've had that blanket over you. I think I was 17 when I figured that out. <laughs> but life does have its way, doesn't it, of throwing the blanket over us, covering us up with the darkness, making us wonder if there's anybody out there who sees us. And I think about that when I think about those long nights when I was a kid and I couldn't sleep and I kept looking at that light underneath the door and hoping it wouldn't go out. And of course, my hoping it wouldn't go out is what kept me awake. And then, of course, it went out. And then, of course, I felt the sadness that there was no one out there to go to. But of course there was. The love was still there. My parents were no farther from me, even though I couldn't see the light. Their love for me was just as strong, just in another room. And the truth is that their laps were no less available to me than they had been minutes before. All I needed was to make my way down the hall and knock on the door. The light was always there. Centuries ago, for unknown reasons, secret tunnels had been dug under the city of Cologne, Germany. Time, as it often does, erased the memory of those tunnels from most Colonians. But during the rise of the Third Reich, when Jews were attempting to find anywhere they could to flee or hide, nine Jews found their way into one of the tunnels and hid from their pursuers. As the story goes, they all survived and escaped. And behind them were left these words that one of them had scrawled on the catacomb wall. I believe in the sun, even when it is not shining. And I believe in love, even when no one is there. And I believe in God, even when God is silent. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, writes John as he begins his gospel. He begins the story of Jesus by saying, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, which may explain that when he finishes his big long story about Jesus in chapter 21, he takes us to a very, very dark night on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. The disciples are floundering. The shadow of Jesus' death looms large upon them. Them, their doubts are high as to what the future holds. But then John tells us that just when the night was the darkest, the first faint lights of dawn could be seen on the horizon, and the disciples on their boat at the end of a fruitless night of fishing notice on the shore a faint, faint light, and they can't quite make it out for what it is. But the closer they get to it, they see that it's a it's a fire. It's a little charcoal fire on the beach. And next to it, a man fanning the flame. And the closer they look, the clearer they see that the faint light, the flickering flames, is revealing a face. It's the face. It's the face of Jesus. The light. The light of the world. The light that overcomes the darkness the light that broke forth at the beginning of all creation. Here, standing before them, was the good news that God had chosen to keep the light on and that no matter what darkness might descend, no matter what blankets might cover us, the good news is that God will never let the light go out. The crack 
at the bottom of the door will never go dark for the true light that enlightens everyone is coming into the world.